Genesis chapter 20, verse 1. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur and then, and then sojourned in Gerar. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Now Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I've done this. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know in the integrity of your heart, and in the, you have done this. And I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So two weeks ago when we covered this portion, we spent a lot of time on that last verse, how God is the one who keeps us from sinning. But now we'll pick it up in verse 7. Now therefore restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die you and all who are yours. So Abimelech arose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were greatly frightened. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is the kindness that you will show to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, He is my brother." Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored his wife to Sarah, his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is your, here it is your vindication before all who are with you. Therefore, all men, therefore before all men you are cleared. Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids, so they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So again, we see the outworking of the Abrahamic covenant. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. He had uh, uh, Abimelech had taken Sarah, thinking it was his sister. He had not yet touched her. But had he touched her, it would have cut off the line of what God had promised that through that woman, Isaac would be born. So because of that, kind for kind, in kind, there is both blessing and cursing upon the children of Israel. The cursing is now coming upon Abimelech in kind. You cut off the line of my people, I will cut off the line of your people. Everyone's womb in, all, in his whole household was closed. All the women's wombs were closed. Immediately, cursing for cursing in kind. We see the same sort of pattern. When Pharaoh tries to 
tries to kill all the male children of, of, uh, of the, the Hebrews, what came upon him? All the firstborn males died, and then the entire army got drowned in the water. How was Pharaoh going to kill those male children? By drowning them. His entire army drowned in the same, in the same river. And, and so you see there's blessing for blessing and cursing for cursing in the Abrahamic covenant in kind. But he says to him, we covered verses 1 through 6 last time. In verse 7 he says, Now therefore restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. This is interesting. This guy, Abraham, told this lie, or at least a half lie, that she is my sister. And because of that, and she also testified to the same thing, that he is my brother. And because of that, Abimelech took her, which was perfectly legal at the time. And so, so uh, uh, now he says, this man who lied to you has to now pray for you. The man who lied to you has to pray for you. And he could be like, why him? He's the liar, not me. I mean, I got caught in this thing because of this man's lie and because of his wife's lie. And he's going to pray for me? But he doesn't say that. He just submits to it. He says, restore the man's wife. God honors marriage. Honors marriage. Again, we talked a lot about this last time. The honoring of marriage. God looks on this with great favor. Restore the man's wife. The the society may say, well, you know, people don't really have to be married and not a big deal. In God's eyes, it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. He said, restore the man's wife for he is a prophet. For he is a prophet. This whole idea of prophet, that, that there are special people that have special relationships with God and God particularly honors them and particularly protects them. He is a prophet. You know, when, when, when we have uh, uh, people, we have this, this guest apartment above our garage and we don't rent it out. Many students have wanted us to rent it out to them. We don't. And it is not for students to be staying there. This is for missionaries coming through and guests and, and speakers like that. That's what it's for. It's not for long-term keeping students there. We keep that there for that purpose. And whenever we have these, these men and women of God, Shireen will always ask them, Come and pray for us, pray for our family. She will always appeal to them to pray for us and to pray for our family because she understands the blessing that flows through people that minister the Word of God. God says, this man Abraham is special. He's a prophet and he will pray for you. But you see what God does. Abraham was not telling the truth. Abraham was not telling the truth. But still, Abimelech has to honor the office of the prophet and go to him for prayer. The office is still honored. Let me give you an example. So, so sometimes a wife may say, I, I don't have to listen to my husband. He's not a good guy anyway. Why should I listen to him? My response is, because he's your husband. Because he's your husband. It's the same as, as you have a job. You honor the boss not because they're a great boss, maybe, but just because they are the boss. That doesn't mean you have to go along with something that's criminal. It doesn't mean that you have to go along if they're, they're speaking abusive things to you. But it's honoring the office. 
So in other words, I'm not going to say a negative word against the chairperson of my department, the chair of my department, the chairman of my department. I'm not going to speak an evil word about him. Now, I helped to hire that guy. I'm far more senior to him in the sense of my age and my time in the department. And he just doesn't know how to decline the offer of becoming chairman as well as I do. So he got stuck becoming chairman. But because he's now chairman, he's my boss. And I have a dean over him, and I have a provost over him, and I have a president over him. And I'm not supposed to... Uh, I have a president over her because the provost is, is a she, or, or up, up until recently was a she. And so you, you see that, that uh, um, we honor those who are over us. We honor pastors in the church. So I know Roger, the pastor of this church, since he was a youth pastor. And he, youth pastors are pretty low on the totem pole. I mean, they just set up chairs and set up tables. And, and, and I, I, I used to help, help counsel Roger. You know, we'd get together for lunch. And in spite of my, my, my counseling, he was, he was able to become pastor. But, but um, uh, he's the pastor now. So I honor him because he's the pastor. Just because he's the pastor of the church. I honor him. I honor the office. Here is this guy who lied to Abimelech and God says you got to go to him for prayer because you're honoring the place of a prophet. And he says, he says, but if you do not restore her, if you not, do not give his wife back, know that you surely, you will surely die. You shall surely die. You and all who are yours. I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill your whole family. For sure. God didn't even have to say for sure. Just for God to say it, it's going to happen. But just, just to put emphasis so that he really meant business. It says, so Abimelech in verse 8 arose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them the things in their hearing. And the men were greatly frightened. They weren't frightened. They were greatly frightened. He told them early in the morning. In other words, after God said that to him, he probably couldn't sleep anyway. So he calls all his servants. I mean, imagine God saying to you, you're going to die. Abimelech, you are a dead man. So he calls all his servants and they all get frightened. So then Abimelech calls Abraham and he says to him, what have you, what have you done to us? What have you done to us? And Abraham doesn't answer. There's no answer. There's no response. Because Abraham is probably ashamed of what he's done. Then he says, and how have I sinned against you that you've brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? What did I do to you? You know what Abraham says? Nothing. Because he's ashamed of himself. No answer. He says, you have done to me things that ought not to be done. Why would you do this to me? Why are you doing this? Then he asks him another question. And then Abimelech said to Abraham, what have you encountered that you've done this thing? In other words, if I haven't done anything to you that you brought upon me, this great sin. What has my kingdom, what have my people done to you? What have we, what have my people, t- tell me who did something to you and I'll, I'll have that person killed. What have you encountered in my kingdom that you would do this to us? And Abraham said, because I thought there surely there is no fear of God in this place and they will kill me 
because of my wife. Abraham thought, there's no fear of God in this place. So they're going to kill me because of my wife. How much do we bring upon ourselves because we make up things in our own mind that may not be true at all? Well, that person doesn't like me. How do you know they don't like you? Did they say they don't like you? No. Well, how do you know they don't like you? You know, we we can build up in our minds things that may not be true at all. And Abraham built up in his mind something that wasn't true at all. This guy was very nice to him. The, the, The kingdom of Gerar, these Philistines, were very nice to him. But how much is the struggle that we go through in life all fictitious? So many things we worry about. That exam is going to be so hard. Oh, oh no. I just, I just, I know I'm going to fail it. It's going to be so hard. And I say to them, how'd the exam go? Oh, it was all right. I mean, you, you just, you put yourself in the hospital practically worrying about this thing, building up in your mind how hard it was going to be. Then you say, it was okay. You know, how much do we put upon ourselves in life that's not true at all? That job's going to be so hard. I'm not prepared. If they knew how little I knew, and I know they never would have hired me. No, they hired you because they know. They know they hired you for a reason. They think that you can handle this. And and uh, um, so so many of the things that we worry about in life are, are it, it, it's totally fiction. And, and we, we bother, we, we bring things upon ourselves. He says in verse 12, Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she's become my wife. So she was his half-sister. Well, this is a real problem. So Abraham has been lying about this for a long time. He says, And, I, and it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is the kindness that you will show to me, Everywhere we go, say, say of me, he is my brother. So this is 25 years since they left. So for 25 years, she's been telling people, that's my brother. And he's been telling people, that's my sister for 25 years. Remember, he lived by the Oaks of Mamre. He's been telling everybody for 25 years. And then if you go back to, to Genesis chapter 12, that's what he told Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He says he told Pharaoh in verse 13, he says, please say that you are my sister of, of chapter 12, verse 13, so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. And it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her, brought and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Now, therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake, and he gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you've done to me? What did, why did you not tell me that this was, why did you tell me that this was your, why didn't you tell me that this was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. So he pulled the same thing with Pharaoh. And he's doing it again now with Abimelech. 
And look at all the stuff that came upon Abimelech's house because of this. So at the end of chapter 20, verses 17 and 18, it says Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maid so that they bore children because God had closed fast their wombs. And you say, well, and, and Abraham got a bunch of stuff out of this. Remember, out of Pharaoh, Pharaoh had given him a bunch of stuff. Lots of male and female servants and camels and donkeys and, and animals of all sorts and made Abraham, who was already rich, even more rich. And then, then it, it says here that in verse, in verse 14 of chapter 20, Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored his wife to Sarah. So he gave oxen and male and female servants. How many servants? We don't know, but it was more than one because it's servants. So he gave a bunch of stuff to him, and then he gives to Sarah a thousand pieces of silver as a vindication so that she says, all men know, I, di- I didn't touch you. Just take a thousand pieces of silver. Well, how much is a thousand pieces of silver? Well, 400 years later, when the law comes, 400 years later when the law comes, 30 pieces of silver you can use to exchange for a slave that may have died in service. So if I borrow your slave, your slave is working for me for the day, your slave dies, I owe you 30 pieces of silver. That was the amount of a dead slave. And that's why when the Pharisees said to Judas, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver, Judas said, how much are you going to give me to turn them over? They said, 30 pieces of silver. This is not a lot of money. That it was a, a humiliating amount of money. We'll give you as much as the value of a dead slave for Jesus. But 30 pieces of silver, 400 years later, 30 pieces of silver in the law was going to buy a dead slave gave him a thousand pieces of silver. So that's 33 slaves worth. That's a lot. I don't know how much, you know, how many people, how many slaves a normal person had, but if you think of it like cars, I mean, imagine if somebody gave you enough money to buy 33 cars. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. And so, so, um, Abraham got a lot out of this. So Abraham told a lie to Pharaoh, and he got a bunch of stuff out of it. But did he really? Remember what he got in that deal? He got Hagar, the Egyptian, who ended up becoming his wife, who bore Ishmael, which ended up being a struggle for him and for the Hebrew people to this day. So when we think we get away with something, we really don't. What's going to happen here? Look, this man Abraham is a prophet. He is a great guy. He is the friend of God. What I love about the scriptures is this, that God takes men who have problems and he uses them as examples in our life to say, look what I can do with a man, with a woman who has problems. Because then there's hope for me. If this were merely merely something that, that, that uh, uh, he demonstrated for me, perfect people, then the Bible has no use for me. I like to see struggling people who God works with. And so you see this man, Abraham, who for 25 years is living a lie. And he told his wife to live this lie with me. He said, he said and in verse 13, And it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, This is the kindness you will show to me everywhere we go. Say of me, he is my brother. Lie for me. 
to protect me, lie for me. I mean, how does, how does Sarah feel about all this? You know, I, I have seen wives come crying that my, my husband will not wear their wedding ring when, when, they, when they go to work. And I suspect that he's flirting with women at work. And he doesn't want to wear his wedding ring. I say, he really ought to wear his wedding ring. People ought to know he's married. And, and this is really something that, that he ought to do. And uh, um, <clears throat> so, how do you think she felt that her husband's not even confessing that this is my wife? And she, he's asked her to lie. So, the, the lie that Abraham has, he has now taught this to his wife. So, he's brought this lie into it. If you hang around a person who lies a lot, do you know what you become? You become a liar. You become a liar. If you hang out with people that lie, you become a liar. Lying is contagious. And here is the leader of that family teaching his wife how to lie. You know, I saw a man, he was, uh, this was, this was, oh, 25 years ago. The Fuzzbusters had just come out. These things you can put on your car and you can detect the police radars. And so that you can speed all you want and they couldn't get you because you know, now they have other methods besides just that. But the, when these things came out, and so the, I go over to this guy's house and, 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 and we're there. And, and um, uh, my kids were, were very little at the time, but his sons were so proud of him. He was showing me this fuzzbuster. He says, you can speed all you want and you don't get caught with this thing. And his kids are so excited about this. And I'm thinking, why are you teaching your children how to lie? Why are you teaching your children how to break the law and get away with it? You really think this is good? Why are you so proud about this? Look what you're bringing into your family. Look at what you're teaching them. What else are they going to learn to do that is lying and how to get away with it? What are you teaching them? And so you think that that Abraham got a lot out of this. Well, it went well for him. Look at all the stuff he got out of this. Well, did it really go well? Look in Genesis chapter 26. In Genesis chapter 26, this is concerning his son Isaac. So now Isaac is born. Isaac grows up. Isaac gets a wife. And Isaac goes into Gerar, the same city, the same Philistine city, to settle for a while. Genesis chapter 26, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. Now Abimelech already had a treaty with Abraham and his household. So now he goes and he meets the same king. This, this, the same uh, uh, king of that, the, of that city. <clears throat> the Lord appeared to him and said to him, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land which I will tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and will give your descendants all these lands. By your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. (gasps) Isaac is saying the same thing. And now this is not a half lie. This is a whole lie. 
For he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebecca, for she is beautiful. He learned how to lie from his father. If you lie, your children will lie. You think you get away with these things. You don't. If you tell lies, your children will tell lies. This is what I tell... You you know, this guy was was, uh, going to divorce his wife. I said, please don't do that. Please don't do it. And, and, And I said, look, divorce is contagious. If you, if, if you get divorced, your children are going to end up getting divorced. This, this thing is not good what you're doing. He says, you don't know that. You don't. And just, he just dismissed it. And, and, uh, and this poor guy has been married and divorced three times. His son has been married and divorced at least twice, and he's not even 30. You don't get away with these things. When you disobey the word of God, you don't get away with it. He taught his son how to lie. And then Isaac started lying. And guess who Isaac had as a son? Jacob, the deceiver, who was lying all the time, who lied to Isaac. He lied to his own father. And then what happened with Jacob's sons? They turned into liars. They sold one of the brothers into slavery and said that he died and destroyed their father's heart. Lying is contagious. You think Abraham got away with this. He got a lot of stuff. And a lot of times you lie about something and you get a bunch of stuff. You think, hey, I made out okay on this. You don't make out okay. When you lie, when you deceive, when you go against the Word of God, you pay a price for that. Especially if you're a prophet. Especially if you're a child of God. To the unbeliever, pain comes in lives, in a life, if you do not do well, if you do not do right. But to the believer, it comes tenfold more. Because Jesus said, to whom much is given... Much is expected. To whom much is given, much is expected. He expects more of us than He does of other people because we are His children, because He's revealed His Word to us. The expectations upon us are much higher. And Abraham was obliged to pray for Abimelech. He had to pray for him. And God calls us to pray even for our enemies. He calls us to pray for our enemies. If you're a believer, this is what He calls us to do. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. You are to find the person who hates you and particularly pray for them. That's what He calls us to do. Do good to those who hate you. We are to do acts of good to those who hate us. So, You find a person who doesn't like you and you do an act of good. You bless those who curse you. If somebody curses you, oh, finally I have somebody I can bless. (laughs) Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. You see his calling upon us. Abraham was obliged to pray for this man. He calls us to, to, to do these sort of things too. The other thing that he does is particularly for the unbeliever. That that God gave Himself for us. 
If you do not know the Lord, you can't pray. You can't pray for those who hurt you. You can't pray for those who hate you. You've got to have Jesus in your heart. Jesus comes and He gives His life for you. If there is any good in us, it is all because of Jesus. Now, you may be an unbeliever and have some good qualities. That can happen. But I'm telling you, those good qualities are not there because of you. They're there because of Jesus. Even though you don't know Him, He has blessed you. How do I know? Because He gives you air to breathe. Because He causes the, 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 the sun to shine both on the righteous and the wicked. He causes rain on the lands of both the righteous and the wicked. That's what the Bible says. If there's anything good in your life, it's all because of Jesus. The Son of God has granted this to you. It says in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Even if you are ungodly, even if you are a liar and a cheat, and even if lying and cheating, as I'm speaking to you, is convicting you of something that you have done, specifically that tells you that Jesus has died for you. Jesus did not die for the godly. The godly have to go somewhere else to get their salvation. Jesus didn't die for the ungodly. He died for the godly. Jesus gave himself for you. Jesus died for the ungodly. Jesus died in our place. If you are ungodly, if you are a sinner, that's exactly who Jesus died for. And I urge you this day, please come to Him. Please come to Him. I will beg you today, come to Jesus. Come to Him. Come to Jesus. I want so much to see the unsaved get saved. I want so much to see those who do not know the Lord to come and know the Lord. Come and know Him. He is good. He is good. He calls us to do good things. He calls us to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who mistreat us. This is what He calls us to. And it is a, it is a lifestyle that we are totally unable to live with without His work in our heart. You cannot do this. You cannot do this. And then without Him working in your heart. And you know what happens? When you start praying for those who hate you, your whole attitude toward them starts to change. If somebody hates you, you know, the natural thing is you hate them back. That's the natural thing. And God says, to those who hate you, I want you to do a specific act of good. And I've told you this before, that there are people that tell me that their boss doesn't like them. They'd, I say, find out what your boss likes and buy it for them and bring it to them for a gift. Find out what, she, what, what they like. And this one young lady said, well, one boss, I mean, she... she she, oh, she loves Starbucks coffee. I said, find out what kind of Starbucks she, she drinks and bring it to her. Just bring it to her. And I've had on several occasions where women have come to me, they say, we brought that Starbucks coffee, like you said, to our boss. Except different women have told me this. And it changed the whole thing. And, uh, and one of them said, my boss took me out to lunch. <laughs> Another one, this young lady said, you know, there's these guys at work and, and you know, it's all guy stuff and I don't fit in and... I said, well, what, what do you mean it's all guy stuff? What do you mean? You know, they love hunting and shooting and all this stuff. I said, oh, perfect. You go and you go to the store and you get them these hunting magazines and these shooting magazines. Get them that. Guys love this. If they're hunters and shooters, they love this. And you just go and you leave it on their desk and say, I just thought you'd appreciate this. She said, they came to me. They were so happy what I did. And, and so... You do this type of thing. Why do you do this? Because the Bible says you overcome evil with good. That doesn't mean you just keep quiet. 
You overcome evil with good. You overcome evil acts with acts of good. When you do an act of good towards somebody, it makes you love them all the more. It makes you love them. Uh, C.S. Lewis's example is that the Germans hated the Jews, and you think the hatred would then be passivated. It wasn't enough. So they would throw stones through their store windows, and you'd say, okay, well, that will pacify their hatred. No, it made them hate them even more. And then they put them in ghettos, and it made them hate them more. So they put them in concentration camps, and made them hate them more. And so then they killed them, and they still hated them. The more acts of evil you do, the more you hate them. It doesn't pacify it. The thing that changes it is we are specifically to do acts of good. Specifically, you do acts of good. If you have this feeling like, you know, I, I hate the Jewish people, you know, I hate the state of Israel, I hate... I'm warning you, don't even voice it, don't even say it, because this blessing and cursing upon the children of the Hebrews continues to this day. God never said, I'm going to end this thing, and it'll continue to this day. Doesn't mean the state of Israel does everything good, and you don't have to support all their actions, but don't come against their people for your own good, for your own good. Because the blessing and cursing, and remember, it's blessing and cursing in kind. What you curse upon them will come upon you many times over. That's what the scriptures say. But the same pattern applies to anyone. If we are mean to people, we will get meanness in our life. The same way that we, we do to others, it says it will come upon us, but it will come down, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, it says. It will come upon us in the same way we treat others. So if you bless others, you will be blessed to overflowing. If you do evil things to others, evil will be coming upon you. Evil will just be showering in upon you. There was this woman that she said, I don't know, why my kids hate me? I mean, they never want to come to see me. They never. I'm thinking, I know why they hate you. Because you hate everybody. It doesn't surprise me. You hate everybody. Who is it that you like? Tell me. Who is it that you're nice to? So it doesn't surprise me that your kids hate being around you. Whatever you, you dish out, you're going to get back many times over. That's the whole blessing. That's the whole pattern of blessing and cursing where, where it comes much more than what we dish out we get. You plant one seed of corn, you get 10,000 kernels. From one kernel, you get 10,000 kernels. From a little bit of kindness, you get much kindness coming upon you. You show kindness, you get much more back. Kind people are very... You, you, you meet a kind person, they have lots of kindness coming in their lives. You meet a mean person, it's meanness just coming upon them all the time. God calls us to these things. I urge the unbelievers, please come to Jesus. You cannot live the model that Jesus has put before us. You cannot live according to His standard without knowing Him. Come to Him this day. I urge you, come to Him. We're going to be having lunch at our home. If you don't know the Lord, please come to my home. I mean, I, we, we got a lot of Chinese people in this class, and I love the Chinese people. I really do. You look at my lab, half of my laboratory, half the people that work for me are Chinese. And, and they are great. I've never had a lazy Chinese worker. I haven't. Because by the time they get to the United States, they had to prove themselves a hundred times over. And they're all good. And I, I, I love the Chinese people. You come to my house. How could you come to the United States and an American invites you into their home and you not come? Don't you feel ashamed of yourself? As a, as a Chinese, 
that, that you come into this class and somebody invites you into their home, how can you say no? How can you do that? Isn't that disgraceful in your culture to say no when somebody invites you so kindly into their home? Come to my home and let me share with you. I want to tell you the story about how I came to know Jesus. I just want to tell you that story. Please let me do that for you today. Let me tell you that story. You come to my home, all those of you who come to my home will all sit at a table together and I'll tell you all together the story about how Jesus came into my life and you'll be eating my wife's wonderful food while, while I'm, I'm talking to you and, and, uh, and you just relax and eat and I will tell you my story. So please come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Father, thank you that you show us, even in the life of this righteous Abraham, that he had real problems. And those problems of his lying caused great problems in his marriage, in his life, in the life of his children, in the life of his grandchildren, and in the life of his great-grandchildren, to the third and fourth generation. Father, I pray for the believers here, that they would not walk in lies, but that they would walk in the truth. Father, that they would not bring lying into their marriage. Father, I pray that there would be uprightness and that you would bring such conviction that they would say, Lord, forgive me because I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Father, thank you that when we confess and turn from our wicked way, we find compassion. Thank you for that truth, Lord. And Father, I pray for the unbelievers who are here. Lord, turn them to you, that they would say this very day, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me because I am a sinner. Lord, come into my life. Lord, I pray that you would save souls this day. And Lord, I commit this to you. I commit these fine people to you. Bless them richly. And Lord, particularly for my Chinese brothers and sisters here today, for those who do not know you, Father, I pray that they would come to know you this day. Save their souls, O Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.